0: I came down here so excited, and then she disappointed me. (laughs) It's all good. Amen. Yeah, it's all right. It's all good. Uh, Let's go to Revelation chapter 12 this morning. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Revelation 12, verse 7. We're gonna get right into it. Um, what I want to talk about this morning, I'm really excited. Can I get turned down just a little bit, please? Um, I'm really excited what I got to talk about this morning. What I, as I've been going some different places and stuff, I've been sharing something along these lines everywhere I've been going. But uh, they get the short version. You guys are gonna get the triple long version, and you know, I'll per usual for you guys, so uh, uh, Revelation chapter 12, let's just get right into it. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, it says, "...and there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world." He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying, in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And here's why we're here, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. Now here's what I want to read in this verse. For the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. Now what I want to point out about this, uh, up in verse 11. It says, and they overcame him, and it mentions three things, the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Now, something I find fascinating about this, this verse right here, verse 11, uh, what fascinates me is it does not say, and the way we typically quote it is, they loved not their lives to death, right? And, and the idea is, They didn't mind dying for the cause of Christ. Now, there's truth in that, but I find it very interesting that it's a specific death. It's the death, not just death, but the death. When you think of the death, it's almost as if it's worded in a way that when you read it, everyone who reads it knows the death that it's referring to. Uh, What is the most important death ever? It's the death of Christ, correct? So all of these, long story short, I'm not going to speak on this. This is a freebie, but all three of these things have to do with the finished work of Christ. They love not their lives until the death is actually more referring to laying our life down and taking up his. Exchanging our life for his. Our death for his. Um, But anyways, what I want to get to is, and they overcame him, who? The devil. Now remember it said in verse 12 that he has great wrath, right? But it says this group overcame him, how? By the blood of the Lamb. Now this is interesting to me because it's almost as if the blood is weaponized in this verse, as if the blood is something that you can use on the offensive, But we tend to think of the blood as only something, you know, hey, it was shed 2,000 years ago. It gave us forgiveness. We received forgiveness. The blood's done. It's job. But that's not what this is referring to. It's not referring to salvation by blood, even though that's how salvation comes. It's referring to a victory by the blood of the Lamb. So... What we're going to learn this morning, what I'm going to speak on is how you learn to weaponize the blood of the Lamb, how you learn to use the blood of the Lamb to overcome every attack of the enemy, because the blood of Jesus is the source of your victory in this life and in the one to come, because we just look at the blood of Jesus as if it's only good for, you know, it gets us salvation now, but it's mostly to get us into heaven. But this group learned something, and this is mentioned first. Look, we put a lot of emphasis on our words. I've spoken about that recently. We put a lot of emphasis on laying our lives down. But the first thing mentioned here is overcoming by the blood of Jesus. All right? So let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 18. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18, it says, Therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. So when it talks about the first covenant, even though it's not the first covenant, we're going to get to that, but it's talking about the Mosaic covenant. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. Verse 19, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, now look here, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. Remember that, the book itself, verse 20, saying, now isn't this interesting, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Now there's some things that when I read in the Bible, I read it and, I'm, and I think, well, duh. Like what? Well, why? Like so? Moses here, he is. He's under the old covenant. They shed the blood of bulls and goats, and then he sprinkles it on the people, and he says, "This is the blood." Now that's really interesting to me because I'm like, "Big duh, I know this is the blood, All right?" There's a reason for that. There's a reason that that is mentioned. But now, what I want to point out is it talks about how the book itself was sprinkled. Sprinkled is going to be a word we're really going to focus on this morning. But it says the book itself was sprinkled with blood. Now, in the Greek, that word book is really interesting. In the Greek, that word book is biblion. And it's where we get our English word Bible. So it's saying that it's, I and mean, I'm using a little bit of liberty here. Obviously, they didn't have Genesis through Revelation at the time of Moses. But it's as if what they were saying is, the book itself, the Bible itself, was sprinkled with blood. And you've heard me say this in the past, but if you were to take and go through your Bible, and I actually have a Bible at home I've done it with, uh, and I, well, I'm in the process of doing it. If you were to go through this Bible and take a red pen or a red color or, or highlighter or something and mark every time the word blood is mentioned, Every time the word covenant is mentioned. Every time, here's one, the word friend is mentioned. Because in the Bible, friend is not like your Facebook friend. Friend is not somebody you went to school with in kindergarten, hung out with one day, and you see them 50 years later and you say, hey, this is my friend. Right? In the Bible, friend is a covenant term. That's why Abraham is the one referred to as the friend of God, because he's the one that God cut a covenant with. All right? So... Uh, every time you see the word friend, every time you see the word circumcision, all all these covenant terms, if you were to do that and then flip through your Bible it would look as if someone had took and sprinkled it with blood. So this is a book of blood. It is a blood sprinkled blood-stained book and I want to I want to bring this out um. The word salvation in a King James Bible, salvation is the number one thing emphasized in our churches today. The word salvation is mentioned 164 times in the Bible. All right? The word grace, which we really emphasize here, is mentioned 170 times in the Bible. The word faith, which is how grace is always accessed, is mentioned 247 times. The word love, which is how we're supposed to live, it's mentioned 310 times. But listen to this. The word blood is mentioned 447 times. Almost, almost four times as much as the word salvation is talked about. And it would be far more than that if I included every time the word covenant, circumcision, friend, and things like that is mentioned. Right? It's, it's a, this, what's my point? This is a covenant book. And that fact stares us in the face the very first time we ever picked up a Bible. The very first time we ever picked up a Bible, we've seen something like this, the New Testament. Right? And that's just the word testament, just another word for covenant. So the very first time we ever opened our Bible, it, it was screaming at us, this is a book of covenant." And twice in the Bible, the the Jews referred to the Law of Moses as the Book of the Covenant. And it would do us well to view our Bibles that way. When I pick this up, this is the Book of the Covenant. Well, isn't it a Book of Covenants? Yes, but they all find their fulfillment in one covenant. And that covenant is actually Jesus himself. And I'm actually going to speak on that next week when I speak to you guys. But but uh, think about this: in the Garden of Eden, there were four rivers. Right? They give the description of four rivers that make their way to Eden. So the idea being the author: Hey, if you can find where these four rivers meet, you've met, you've you've found Eden. All right? These four rivers point to Eden. The same way, there's four major blood covenants that point the way to Jesus. All right? There's the Abrahamic covenant. There's the Mosaic Covenant, the, David, the Davidic Covenant, and then there's the New Covenant. All four of those things point us to Jesus. That is the value of, even though we're not under the law of Moses, there's still value to it because we go to it and it points us to Jesus. Right? Even though we, we read about Abraham and, and, and we, we read where God told him, hey, you need to circumcise everybody, and we think, whoa, hold up, points us to Jesus. All right? The Davidic covenant points us to Jesus, all right? And obviously the new covenant is what we're living under today. So there's there's different types of covenant in the Bible, and I I promise I'm going somewhere with this, but there's different types of covenants in the Bible. Um, Like Jonathan and David, they made a covenant, but no blood was shed. But the the covenant that the Bible is mostly uh, concerned with, when it comes to our redemption, that road is paved in blood. right? You just follow the trail of blood and you come to Calvary. You come to our salvation. You come to Jesus. You come to the new covenant. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 28 and 29. I want to read this really quick. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29, of how much worse Worst punishment do you supposedly be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot. Now, notice here. Now, let me say this. I'm not going to explain what it's talking about. I did a whole message like five or six months ago explaining this. Uh, But I want to point one thing out. He counted the blood. Look here. The blood of the covenant. The blood of the covenant. The reason we have to beware of anyone who tries to do away with the necessity of the blood is without the blood, there is no covenant, which means without the blood, there is no salvation. That's what, that, that's what it, so we have to beware of anyone who says, well, the blood wasn't necessary. That was man's idea. God met man where he was. We're going to get to that in a minute, and let's finish this verse. The blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, look here, a common covenant. So he's talking about a group of people who say the blood of the covenant is a common thing. In other words, it was just something of the time. It was just something that other cultures did, and the Hebrews adopted it, and God winked at it. That's considering the blood of the covenant a common thing. When the Bible says God is holy, it's saying that He is uncommon. Recently, something God's been speaking to me about is in our attempt to make the gospel more inclusive. Um, and when I say that, that, I know that's a bad term right now, but I don't mean it politically. I don't mean it in a theological sense. But we just wanted everybody to know, hey, the gospel is for you, right? You have been invited to this, this wonderful, into this wonderful salvation, into this wonderful gospel. But sometimes I think in doing that, we've almost made God too common. He looks like me. He looks like you. No, listen, God, he's pleased by faith, but God's different. God is not us. And sometimes I think we need to get a hold of that. But not, And then it says at the end that this person or these people have insulted the spirit of grace. And all I, all I want to say is there's many people who claim to be preaching grace who say that the blood isn't necessary, the blood never was needed, God's always loved you, God's always accepted you. It's true, God's always loved you. All right, but listen. Those people who they 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 do away with the blood in the name of grace are actually insulting the grace that they claim to be preaching. All right. Uh, uh, Let's see here. Acts chapter seventeen, verses two and three. And one more point on this, then I'm done. But I have to I have to get this in about the. um, You don't have that. That's okay. Acts chapter seventeen verse 2 and 3. Let me read that real quick because I don't want to mess it up. Acts 17, verse 2 and 3. And Paul, as his manner was, so Paul, the apostle of grace, the teacher of grace, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging, look here, and this is the King James Version, that Christ must needs have suffered. He must needs have suffered. In other words, it was necessary He had to, I think is how the New King James says. He had to suffer. So, and here's why I'm saying that. If there was any other way God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit could have brought us salvation without blood, they would have done it. There's a mystery there that we don't understand, but what Paul, Paul was under the persuasion that blood was the only way. Christ's suffering was the only way that salvation could come. All right? So all that, just to, just to warn you, just anyways. Um, let's go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And what we have to understand about the idea of a blood covenant, the idea of shedding blood, is that it was God's idea. This wasn't a Canaanite culture. It wasn't uh, you know, Philistine culture. It was a God thing. God set this up. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. So this is right after he's created Adam. Verse 16. You're fine. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat... But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Now, here's what I want to bring out. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So God warns him, the day you eat of that tree, that day you will surely die. It's going to happen. You can bank on it. It's a sure thing. It's going to happen. All right. Uh, Genesis 3, verse 6 and 7. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And the eyes of both them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Look here. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So they hid their nakedness or their appearance before God, we should say. Now let me ask you something. In getting fig leaves, did they have to shed blood? No, just pluck the leaves. Put it over you, you're good, right? That is always, to this day, that is still man's idea in approaching God. I don't need blood, right? If the goal here was just to cover their nakedness, then they would have done well, right? Because they hid themselves. But God was not satisfied with that. All right, go uh, look over to Genesis three twenty one. So, So long story short, God shows up, uh, reveals to them now that the curse that's been brought up on the earth and upon them, and verse 21, unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins. Now, think about it. To this point, there had been no death. So the only way the Lord God could get these coats of skins was what? He had to shed blood. He had to kill some animals, an animal. He he had to. That's the only way he could get coats of skin. So they were satisfied with fig leaves. God wasn't. God had to shed blood. All right? So now look here. And make coats of skin. That's blood shed. And this is where we're going. You're, You're going to start seeing where I'm going here and clothed them. Notice it wasn't enough for God to just shed the blood. He had to put it on them. So the blood was shed, but the blood also had to be applied. All right. Now there's to uh, go in Genesis 5:5. 5, 5. Let's look at Genesis 5:5 5, 5, and here's what I want to point out. Remember God said in the day you eat Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, look what happened. In all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. He did not die on that day. There's two ways of looking at this, and I believe both of them are accurate. The first one is the way that I've I've taught here before. That day, they spiritually died, right? Before the fall, their spirit was alive to God and dead to sin. After the fall, it was alive to sin, dead to God, right? So their, their spirit, it died, right? It died to God. That's why after that, you always see God speaking to man, appearing to him. He had to meet man where man could sense him, where man could could physically see him or physically hear him. He began to, to relate to man based on his senses. That's why you don't need to have this idea that we have something that is inferior to what they had. Hearing God speak on, to you on the inside is actually far more superior than what they had. And I've done whole messages on that. won't waste my time. But here's another way of looking at this. An- the other reason that Adam and Eve did not die on the day they had of that fruit was because God made an offering. God shed blood... And he applied it. The wages of sin is what? Death. Death. But wherever blood is shed and blood is applied, the sin is covered. This is actually the first time atonement is seen in the Bible. So the reason I believe that they didn't physically die that day was because blood was shed and blood was applied. And that's what we see all through the Bible. In the law... This is something that fascinates me about the law. I ministered to this, uh, ministered this to a group over Zoom in Texas uh, this past week. That under the law, we have this idea that grace and faith is strictly a new covenant thing. It is from Genesis Revelation about grace and faith. Under the law, even when God, like someone like David, sinned, David committed two charges worthy of murder under the law: adultery and murder. Right. And then, according to the law, Bathsheba also should have have, uh, been stoned for her uh, adultery because both the man and the woman were to be stoned. But that didn't happen. Why? Because the law of faith supersedes the law of Moses. Wherever God's found faith, he's passed over any wrath, any punishment that is supposed to be dealt. All right? So, but... Anyway, getting ahead of myself. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3 and 7. So this is when uh, God shows up and tells the people they're in Egypt. He's going to deliver them. Look here. Remember, in the garden, blood shed, blood applied. Verse 3. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Uh, verse... Verse 4, no, you're fine, don't worry. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls, every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. It's hard for me. I actually plan on talking about this more next week. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. So I'll just pass all the symbology. Uh, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the ho- Look here. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. That's fascinating. We'll come back to that. Verse 7. And they shall take of the blood, which means what? Blood's been shed, right? The only way they can get the blood is if it's been shed. But look, if, if all they had done was kill the lamb and just leave it out in the yard. We killed the lamb. We did it. They would have still been met by the death angel that night. Why? And strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. The blood had to be shed, but it also had to be applied. All right? So, in the garden, blood shed, blood applied. Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. A lot of scripture, but I'm going somewhere with this. this. This, I'm telling you, this is actually one of my favorite things I've ever seen in the Bible because it's so, it's something that we can apply here and as soon as we see it. And Moses came, so, so Genesis in the garden, blood shed, blood applied. There's no law of Moses at that point. Exodus chapter 12 at the Passover, blood had to be shed, blood had to be applied. Still no law. Right? The law doesn't come in until Exodus 19 and 20. So here we are. Here's the law. This is what Hebrews 9 was talking about. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said we will do. Verse 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which, now look here, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. Blood's been shed. Verse 6. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Verse 7. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said... All that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. Verse 8 to finish up here. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So notice, even under the law, blood had to be shed, but blood also had to be applied. Alright. So there's this app there all through the scripture we see this pattern. Blood shed, blood applied. But we have this thinking. Here's, here's, all right, what's this, how's this apply to me? We tend to have this thinking in the church that it's all about just blood being shed. Well, blood, Jesus died, He shed His blood. I believe that. That's good, right? But remember, in Revelation 12, they overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb. So they were using the blood of the Lamb. Something that was shed 2,000 years ago, they were learning to use it then and win spiritual battles with it. All right? Here is what I want to to bring out. It's something we really got to get a hold of. We talk about the finished work of Jesus, and, and that's a true statement. But here's the thing, guys. The work is finished but it is not automatic. And too many times in the church, I think, we have this idea, even among grace circles, we have this idea that it's going to be automatic. If blood being shed, if the work, the finished work was automatic, then the whole world would be saved, right? Because he shed his blood for the whole world. But we know the whole world's not saved, and we know scripturally that the whole world will not be saved. But the blood's been shed for everyone. But the blood must still be applied by faith, right? We get that. We see that. See, but but then I know a lot of people who they see that with salvation, right? Yes, absolutely. Not everyone's saved. Not everyone's going to be saved. They have to believe by faith. But yet we think all the other blessings of the new covenant, all the other blessings of grace are automatic. Protection, we think, is automatic. Healing, automatic. That's, why, that's what people always fight me on when I minister on healing. Well, if God wanted me healed, he would heal me. No, it's been provided, but it's not automatic. All right? Uh, joy, peace, provided, but it's not automatic. So we see that with salvation, but what about peace, joy, provision, healing? What about these things? How do we access grace? Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2 says that we have access into this grace by faith, right? So we know anything that's been provided by grace, we access it by faith. But here's the thing we have to realize about faith. Faith is voice activated. Psalm 91 is not automatic. Go back and read Psalm 91. Psalm 91, uh, the, the author says, I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress in whom I will trust. And then he goes on to list all these things. In other words, he's saying, this is true, and I will say it. And as he says it in faith, he experiences it. So we've got to, Well, here's 1 Peter 1, verse 1 and 2. You're going to see where I'm going with this. So Peter knew Jesus pretty well. Peter was a Jew. He knew about the law pretty well. I want you to see something here. This blew my mind a few weeks ago when I seen it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ of the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, verse 2, elect according... Now look here. According to the foreknowledge of God, through sanctification of the Spirit, this is all God's part, God foreknew you and then God sanctified you with the Spirit. That's God's part. But do you see that one little four-letter word, unto? This is your part. Unto obedience. Now, we know we're supposed to obey, right? Now, I mean, we know that that our salvation is not about our works, but remember Ephesians chapter 2 where it says we're not saved by works, but we're saved unto good works, right? So obedience is our part. No problem there. Notice this and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's still your part. Sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. So Peter here is actually saying that God foreknew you, God sanctified you, and now you should obey, and now you should sprinkle the blood of Jesus. Now, that's interesting, how, but, but how do we sprinkle something we don't see? Another verse that kind of just drives us home, a few words later, Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 5, I believe it is, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, you also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. Now, let me ask you something, what's priests work with? Blood. Look here, what do they do? They offer up spiritual sacrifices. So the idea, we have this idea that under the New Covenant, we don't offer up sacrifices. We do. We just don't offer up bulls and goats and animals. Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So we are priests. We still offer sacrifices. And those sacrifices are acceptable because of Jesus Christ. So here's the question. We sprinkle the blood of Jesus, how do we do it? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Hebrews 13, you don't have that one. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Let's read this really quick. This is is what makes it plain here. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So how do we offer up spiritual sacrifices? Worship. Worship. Our words. Uh, The author of Hebrews talked a lot about our confessing, our hope, right? So we sprinkle the blood of Jesus with our words, with the lips of our mouth. Now, so here's what I'm saying. Jesus shed his blood at Calvary, and we apply the blood with our lips. You did that when you got saved. That's why it says, Whosoever believes in, believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth, right, he shall be saved. So we've seen that the, the importance there of speaking it, of confessing it. Now, I have, I think, here behind this pulpit in the past, years ago, preached against this, kind of mocked it, but I've come to, I'm repenting right now, it's a biblical thing. And what what am I talking about? How many of you have heard, I plead the blood? Right? Now, people have abused that, but I'm here to say that pleading the blood is a biblical thing to do. Because he says here that we can sprinkle the blood of Jesus. Here used to be my problem with pleading the blood. I heard the word plead and I thought of beg. I thought when, I, when someone said plead the blood, they were begging God to do something based on the blood. Pleading is a legal term. Uh, every time something breaks in the news and there's going to be someone's going to stand before a bunch of politicians and he's going to give his testimony, you always know it's going to stink. Why? Because he's just going to get up there and say what? I plead the fifth. What's that mean? I invoke, I am using, I am exercising my right to not say anything. We have to understand we are not legalists, but we have a legal salvation justification, righteousness, these words are legal terms. So when someone says, I plead the blood, they're actually saying, this is my right. I have access to this. I have a right to this. Why? Because of the blood. So I plead the blood. Now you may not use the term, I'm not giving you a formula today, you may not use the term "I plead the blood." That may not just that may just not settle well with you. You might not like it. Fine, you don't. But here's what Philemon. Do you have Philemon one and verse six? Philemon one, verse six. I want to point something out here. That the communication. Now, he's. Act, this is not an evangelism verse. This isn't telling you how to share your faith, even though it looks like that. And for time's sake, you can go read the book of Philemon. That's not what he's talking about. When I pray for you, I'm sharing my faith with you. I'm communicating my faith to you. That's what he's got in mind here. That the communication of your faith may become effective by the how? By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So here's what he's saying: you have faith. The issue is: is it effective? Well, how does it become effective? You have to acknowledge every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Here's the whole point I want to make. Whatever you acknowledge becomes effective in your life. Until you acknowledge it, it will not be effective in your life. Have you ever seen someone that's got some sort of negative issue? Maybe it's an addiction or whatever. But until they acknowledge the problem, they won't see breakthrough. They won't see deliverance. They won't see healing why cuz they're in denial. So as long as 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 long as you deny that the blood of Jesus has any power right now and how how and you may not straight out say I deny that, but if you're not acknowledging it, if you're being quiet about it, it's actually denial. All right? So we need to learn this principle. If we will just begin to acknowledge the blood of Jesus, it will secure victory for us. It will bring healing. It will bring provision. It will bring joy. It will bring uh, peace. Whatever you need, the blood of Jesus has paid for it. And like I said, you may not use the term plead, but you do need in that moment, you feel anxiety coming on, stop and somehow acknowledge the blood of Jesus. Now I like saying, I've come to enjoy and like saying I plead the blood. Because it's just something you can relate to. Because like I said, once I heard, and I heard it from another pastor, Chris Barhorse, then up in Ohio, he brought up about pleading being a legal term. And when he, he said that at a meeting I was at, it just, I, I loved that I plead the fifth. It gave me a picture to look at. It's as if I'm standing before the throne. I'm standing in the courtroom of heaven, and I'm saying, Lord, I plead the blood. Right, when someone says I plead the fifth, you have to back off. That's their right. They, they, they have that. And so God is not a harsh judge. When you plead the blood, He is more than willing to give you that which His Son paid for. He is more than willing to open that up and let that flow into your life. Right? So let's look at Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 45. So this is Jesus, and He's, he's in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. And he came out and went, as he was wont known to, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, you know why he's in agony? Because someone forgot the bacon donuts. (laughs) (laughs) I was just looking for somewhere to. I was just looking for somewhere to get that in. Once I seen the word agony, I thought, that's how I feel right now. I'm in agony. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Like, that's how I feel right now. Like, we need to pray about this. He prayed more earnestly. Now, here's why I brought you here. And his sweat was as, go back to verse 44, please. You're fine. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, hold on right here. Remember in Genesis, after after they've ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God says, Now listen, now everything you get in this life, you'll do by the sweat of your brow. Remember that? So here he's been in the garden, he's praying earnestly, he begins to sweat, and there comes a moment where that sweat turns into blood. Verse 45. And, and notice it mentions that it fell down to the ground. The ground that God said was cursed. Verse 45. And when he rose up from prayer, when he rose up from prayer, he got the victory. He got what it was that he was after. But he didn't get it by sweat. As long as he was sweating, he kept praying. But the moment that sweat became blood, he got the victory. And here's what I'm saying. Listen, now, as believers, you don't have to, Everything you get in this life doesn't have to come by sweat. It comes by blood. It comes by the blood of Jesus. So where things were once accomplished by sweat, now they get done by blood. Amen. Where things were once provided by sweat, now they're provided by blood. So I just really, and I'm going to kind of go through this quickly. I know you don't believe that. I don't believe it either, but I'm going to say it. Uh, I, I'm going to give you some areas where God has ministered to me about applying and pleading His blood, right? Because remember, listen, here's what I'm saying. The blood has been shed for your salvation. The blood has been, you know, I heard uh, someone say the other day, I can't remember who it was, but they said, your salvation does not just uh, apply to your salvation. In other words, there's more to salvation than the born-again experience, right? So so salvation, joy, peace, peace. Uh, self-control, uh, healing, uh, provision, all these things. The blood has been shed for all these things. But remember, all through the Scripture you see it, blood being shed. And I know this sounds blasphemous, shed blood isn't enough. We even see that when Jesus shed His blood. Do you know, that? and, and this is so overlooked in the modern church, and I've taught, whole, I've taught a message on it here before, but Jesus didn't just shed his blood and say that's good enough. Jesus took his blood. He went into heaven after he resurrected. That's why he told, that's why he told Mary, he said, Touch me not. I've not yet ascended to my Father. Why? Because she can't taint the blood. So he takes, her, he takes, her to hev- uh, he takes his blood to heaven. And the book of Hebrews says that he, he went and he sits it down. He puts it, he applies it to the mercy seat. And that obtained eternal redemption for us not just the blood shed but the blood also applied so before the law blood shed blood applied in the law blood shed blood applied even at the death and resurrection of Christ blood had to be shed and blood had to be applied right so we need to learn to use this listen the bible says that that blood cleansed heaven And again, I've taught a message on this, but I believe that Adam had a place before the throne of God. And in the book of Job, when it talks about Satan uh, coming before the throne of God, I believe that was Adam's place. And he somehow forfeited that place to Satan when he gave in to him. And so that's what it means. Listen, once Jesus went and applied his blood to heaven, the enemy had no more right there. That's why I've said, listen, there's not one person here who's ever had an accusation against them in heaven because the accuser of the brethren's been cast down. Right? All right. Uh, Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses 13 and 14. Hebrews chapter 9. Okay, that's fine. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. Gosh, Casey, you're way off today. My goodness. I even (laughs) gave them to her last night. Uh, I'm kidding. It's all good. Like, when, listen, when I go other places, they ask, "Can I get your scriptures?" I'm like, "They're gonna have a heart attack when they see all these verses that I send them 'cause they're pastors. Like, usually, like, here's my two scriptures today, you know. And uh, anyways, I always go out of my way to like, who is over the scriptures at this church? And I go to them, and I'm like, "Thank you. I should give you a bacon donut." <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hebrews chapter nine, verse thirteen and fourteen. All right, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh. Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, here's why we're here, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, your conscience is the place where you deal with shame, where you deal with condemnation. where you deal with guilt, your, your identity or your, your perceived identity is really all about what's going on in your conscience. Now, you can be condemned, and that doesn't mean God condemns you. That doesn't mean that's your true identity, right? But if you perceive yourself as being condemned, if you feel condemned, then that, that kind of makes your, your perceived identity. But anyways, we need to learn to plead the blood over our thoughts, over our mind. Some of us need to learn to plead the blood over our memories because we have memories that cause us a lot of trauma. We have memories that cause us, uh, cause us moments of anxiety and, and, and things like that. I'm always surprised by when, when something's bothering me, how if I'll pray about it, God will show me something in my childhood that I buried deep down. Somebody said something. Somebody did something. I experienced something. right? And in those moments, you need to learn to plead the blood over your memories. Right? We need to learn to plead the blood over those racing thoughts, over that mind that's tortured. We need to plead the blood over our mind. That's what he's saying. Listen, the blood of Christ can purge, literally cleanse your conscience. That is powerful. Think about the Apostle Paul. He learned to do this. How do you know? Because Paul says over and over again in the New Testament, I have a clean conscience before God and man. Now think about the people that, that Paul ministered to and they came up to him and he's like, you know, you killed my best friend. You were responsible for my mother, for my father, for my brother, for my sister being killed for the faith. And now here you are preaching to me. And here's Paul at the end of his life and he's saying, I have a clean conscience towards God and man. How? He learned that the blood of Christ could purge his conscience. So when you have those thoughts, when you deal with that guilt, that shame, those memories, that condemnation, plead the blood right then over your mind. Take a moment and plead the blood. Acknowledge the blood, and it will cleanse you. All right? Um, 1 John 1 and 7. This This is the next thing I want to talk about. Like I said, I plan to move through these pretty quick. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So he's talking to believers here. And look here what he says. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All our sin, past, present, and future, has been forgiven. Right? Legally, it's taken care of. But let's not just settle for that. Cleansing, see, when it it talks about being forgiven in the New Testament, it's, it's in the perfect tense. Most of the time it's in the perfect tense. That means an action that was completed once and for all time never needs to be repeated. But now when it says here in 1 John 1, 7 that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, that's in the present tense active voice. So that means right now, at this very moment, the blood of Jesus is available to cleanse you of any unrighteousness. So we don't get saved and become perfect in our actions. Right? Now I'm not saying we, we need to, there's like this this other ditch where people get like, well, you know, you're just a sinner. You're always a sinner. You're always and, and what it, it creates a lifestyle of just accepting falling short. Right? We don't want you have power over sin. Right? You've been delivered past tense from the penalty of sin. Your present tense being delivered from the power of sin, right? It should be losing its hold on our lives as we we mature in this walk with Jesus, all right? But anything you have in your life that you're still dealing with, that you know is unrighteous, that you know is contrary to what is written, you need to learn to plead the blood in that area. If If it's a lust problem... Plead the blood over your eyes, right? If if it's you know addictions and things like that, we need to learn to plead the blood over our brain, uh, plead the blood over our hormones, plead the blood over over our desires. And what happens is, according to John, that blood will cleanse you. I'm telling you, and and I know that when you hear this, it seems like what's I, I I'm telling you, just do it. The enemy hates the blood. That's why when the blood was applied in heaven, he got out of there. That's why he did everything he could, right, to keep Jesus from coming. The the enemy hates the blood. That's how they overcame him, by the blood. He can't stand it, right? He he, he doesn't want to deal with it. Um, The next thing, your healing. 1 Peter 2.24 talks about by his stripes, we all know it, you were healed, right? And I love Hosea 11.3 because, and I've shared this here with you guys before, I used to wonder, okay, I get Peter used it in the past tense, but how can I be healed and still deal with something in my body? Hosea 11, verse three says, I healed them and they knew it not. So you can be healed and not know it, right? Right? So, so God has provided healing for us, but but we still have aches, we still have pains, There are still uh, believers, we still get, you know, there's still serious things that tries to come against us. Plead the blood. Plead the blood. As I was preparing this message the other day, uh, I began having this pain, like this random pain, and it was, it was aggravating me, and I couldn't get much done. And I thought about it as I was preparing this message, and I just said, I plead the blood over this. And I you know, that area of my body. And you know, I noticed an hour later, it was not hurting anymore. Plead the blood over whatever it is, whatever the ache is, whatever the pain is, whatever the diagnosis is, plead the blood over that area. First Peter 2.24, where he says, by his stripes uh, we were healed, you were healed. Years ago, God spoke to me about this scripture, and he said, Grant, First Peter 2.24 has never healed a person. And when he said that, I thought that was the enemy. Because I'm like, listen, I've stood on 1 Peter 2.24. I know plenty of people who stood on 1 Peter 2.24 and been healed. I said, no, 1 Peter 2.24 has not healed anyone. See, a lot of people think because they know 1 Peter 2.24, that would get them healed. The beauty of 1 Peter 2.24 is that it reveals how we're healed. By his stripes. So when I let God finish the thought, he said, 1 Peter 2.24 has never healed one person. Actually, the way he put it was, 1 Peter 2.24 has never healed anyone, but the stripes of my son has healed everyone. See, so and when it talks about stripes, it's calling to your attention his blood that was shed. All right? the, uh, in Leviticus 1, one of the offerings had to be skinned. I believe Jesus' back literally looked like it had been skinned. I believe that's how that was fulfilled. So plead the blood over your body. Plead the blood over your health. Uh, the next one, and this one's really big, and this is when God began dealing with me on this, is plead the blood for your protection. Now we've seen in the book of Exodus, and they're in the story of Passover, and remember what I said, blood being shed wouldn't have been enough. But when the blood was applied to their houses, their house was protected. That school shooting in Texas really bothered me. Anybody, you know, it bothered, I'm sure, anybody that listened to that, it bothered you. It especially bothered me because those children were the age of Graham. So it really messed with me. And uh, this is when God really began talking to me about the power of the blood. Because the blood applied, it wasn't just for that person that went out there and killed the animal. It was for anyone in the house. It didn't matter if they were in there shaking at the knees, scared of the death angel. They were in the house. The blood had been applied. They were protected. That's one of the reasons Paul came along. He said, listen, if if you're a believer and you've got an unbelieving spouse, don't kick them out. If they want to stay with you, Stay with them. And, and then he said this, he said, because they weren't sanctified, but now they're sanctified. He's not talking about salvation, but he's saying, listen, they're going to live in a particular realm of the blessing, the blessings of God that they would not have if they weren't with you. And we see this all through the book of Acts, when they would preach the gospel. Uh, what should we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in all your house. Right now, he's not saying salvation is automatic, but he's saying, listen, things are going to change for not only you, but your household. The blood of Jesus will protect. We need to plead the blood of Jesus, and I've been so uh, intentional with it since God has showed me this and since those shootings. I plead the blood of Jesus over my children every day. This morning, I got up, and during my prayer time, where we was going to be traveling, I, I, I was pleading the blood, speaking the blood over us as a family as we drove and and over my kids, right? I plead the blood. I'm telling you, you know, it's like a bloodline. The enemy can't cross it. We need to learn the power of that. And I actually seen this, so God was dealing with me on this, and uh, I actually seen it work. I was every day, I was, you know, I was taking time. Lord, I plead the blood over myself and protection and things like that. And uh, I was at the house one day cutting weeds, and we have this massive hill that I have to cut about once a month. And it is, at the top of it is a road. There is no place to put your feet. All right? you, and, but it's too steep to actually be on the hill. So I have to stand on the road uh, to cut it. And I can't hear nothing over the weed eater. All right? It's so loud, I can't hear nothing. So I'm always like this. I, I'm I, like when I get done, I'm like, it looks like I just gave those weeds at the top a bad haircut, because I'm like this all the time, you know, like scared something's just going to pull. And because where we live on our road, there's some traffic up to no good, right? Um, so I was, I was had like one foot over on the hill, and I was trying to do what I could. And I when I went up to get back on the road, as I did. A car came flying by me, and I'm telling you, you could not have put this Bible like this between me and that car. They never, I watched, they never stopped, they didn't even slow down, they just kept going. How? And I asked God, I said, how did that not hit me? And God immediately spoke to me, because of the blood. Because of the blood. That we need to see the power of supernatural protection. Our, our minds, we hear bad news every day that it's easy to get to this place where we almost don't expect God to protect us. There's power in the blood to protect you. Um, another thing, two more things. Uh, also, guys, you can plead the blood over your work, you can plead the blood over your finances. Now, it doesn't mean cash is going to automatically show up in your bank account, but don't be surprised when God starts to take care of things. He has promised to bless everything you set your hands to, right? And that is a promise under the law, and all the the promises of God are yes and amen in what? In Christ. In other words, all the promises of God are yes because they've been paid for by His blood right? So we have a promise. When we speak the blood of Jesus, when we plead the blood over our hands, over our work, whatever it is we're doing, God has promised to bless that, right? I've been recently thinking, and I thought long and hard about doing it, but I'm not going to. I I thought hard about teaching a message on health and wealth, because here's something I find really interesting. The two things that the church has fought for decades against, if you preach that God wants to bless you financially and God wants to bless you physically. That'll get you persecution. I got a message not too long ago and said, I really wish you'd quit preaching this prosperity gospel. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel, right? But here's what I find interesting. Those two areas, health, healing, and provision financially, here's what I find interesting about that. For two years, what did people need more than anything? Healing, health right? Now we're about to go into a season. What do people need more than anything? The two things the church has fought for decades on, now they need. Let's be the people, listen, so, and I've shared this with you before, people say, are you a health and wealth preacher? I thought, like, well, yeah, that's better than a, than a sick and broke preacher, right? Like, I'd re- I'll take the health and wealth label over, over the sick and broke label any day, yes. Right? Here's what I believe, though. I don't believe in, you know, just... I don't, I don't believe in abuse, but I believe God is a good Father. He loves us. He wants to take care of us. He wants to provide for us. He wants us healthy. He wants to see us blessed. And that's why He paid for it in blood. Amen. And the last thing, and this this one's powerful. Plead the blood over your church. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. This is the last verse. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. I want to read this. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He has purchased with His own blood. Remember in Exodus chapter 12, I told you to pay attention to the whole assembly. So it wasn't just the individual households that received the blessing, but it was the assembly of Israel that received the blessing. Right? when there, there are certain words, and like I said, I'll probably minister on this more next week. When you hear it, it should make you think of something. Like when you read in the, the law about uh, scarlet, you, you should think about blood. Right When you think of hyssop, you should actually think faith. And when, and when you read assembly, you should think church. All right. So the church, listen, we're coming into a time, Jesus foretold it, when you will be hated by all people for my name's sake. We need to begin pleading the blood over our church. Grace Point, you know, any church we're associated with, plead the blood over your leaders, plead the blood over your members, plead the blood over over this physical location. Powerful. Protection. Blessing. And when we plead the blood over our church, when we speak the blood over our church, Man, let's believe that just as the whole assembly of Israel received the blessing of that blood, that Grace Point Church will receive the blessing of His blood. Amen. In every area of our lives. That when we're here, gathered together, protected. When we're out and about, protected. Right? There's power. Jesus paid for His church with blood. Let's sprinkle the blood of Jesus. Let's speak the blood of Jesus over one another. Amen. Has this blessed you guys today? Amen. All right, so um, let's go ahead and we're going to take communion this morning.